This morning, I just feel compelled to share a particular gift that Heavenly Father wants to give to each one of us. Now, undoubtedly, we've received some gifts this holiday season, um, you know, over the years as well. And, and one of my favorite things to do, especially when I'm speaking with children, is to ask them what their favorite gift was that they received. And you, you really do receive some entertaining answers when you ask that question to kids. And I wanted to share with you this morning, nobody really takes me seriously when I say this, but, but my favorite gift this Christmas was a pair of socks, and I love the socks that I got. Somebody knit me a pair of Newfie socks. I'm sorry, I forgot. I was going to bring them in to show them to you. I don't know if you know what Newfie socks are. They're like pillows for your feet that fit inside your shoes. And it's just, it's, it's life-changing. I love my Newfie socks that I got for Christmas. Legitimately, they are amazing. I've also received some gifts that aren't as amazing as Newfie socks, uh, including but not limited to a bag of gourmet peanuts from a family member in spite of my very serious peanut allergy. And now, I think that we can relate, right? Um, perhaps not quite at the same level where the result of your gift uh, might be death, but on some level, we've all received gifts that are great, and we've received gifts that are perfect for regifting, haven't we? Yes. Um, the Word of God says that our Heavenly Father gives perfect gifts to His children. I won't be getting peanuts from heaven. He gives perfect gifts to His children, to His church, to those He loves, to you and to me. And it's one of those perfect gifts that is completely available for those who receive it that He has compelled me to share with you this morning. Wisdom. What I feel compelled to share with you about this morning is the gift that Father God wants to um, impart in your life, the gift of wisdom. It was Abraham Lincoln that said, I don't think much of a man who is not wiser today than he was yesterday. What is true about wisdom is that when you possess it, everyone around you benefits from it. It benefits our homes. It benefits our workplaces. It benefits our business. It benefits our church. And so I want to take a look this morning at Proverbs chapter 9. And I don't know if you have read the book of Proverbs or if you uh, have spent much time there lately, but if you haven't, I'd just like to fill you in. If you were to read the book of Proverbs and to live it out, you would have a bachelor's degree in family dynamics. If you were to read the book of Proverbs and live it out, you would have a master's degree in finance. If you read and live out the book of Proverbs, you will have a PhD in living wisely. And it's my hope this morning that by the end of our time together, that you will commit to seeking wisdom. I pray that Holy Spirit will speak to our spirit and convict us to grow in and seek wisdom this year. And men in particular, I'm praying that for us this morning because I believe that if we as men were to commit to pursuing wisdom, we would be giving our families the best gift we could give them, even better than Newfie socks. So I called this message, The Wise and the Otherwise. And I think that as we look at the text, you will understand why its meaning will become uh, fairly plain. So I'd like to read the, the text this morning together, starting in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. 
She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, somebody say beginning, of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Chapter 9 of Proverbs can be broken down this way. There are two invitations. There are two destinies, and there are two responses. Two invitations, two destinies, and two responses. And I want to start this morning with the first invitation. Wisdom's invitation. It says, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll notice that wisdom is personified as a woman. And the wise men in the room said, amen. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. This is the invitation, starting in verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. You know, this invitation is going out to the simple, and I wonder what is meant by the simple. We need to understand that in Hebrew poetry, and that's what this is, that there's, this, um, there's a rhyming of ideas. The second line rhymes with the first line in terms of thought. Now, they can contrast one another, or they could be synonymous, and that's what's happening here. So the simple refer to those that lack judgment, Wisdom is speaking to the easily influenced. The simple are the ones who haven't quite made up their minds as to which path they are going to choose. The simple hasn't yet given into sin, but if he doesn't respond to the invitation to be wisdom's guest, his uninformed mind and lack of self-direction will be his demise. And if the simple accepts the invitation, he will save himself a big headache. So wisdom has prepared this delicious banquet to be enjoyed by the simple. And she sends out her maidens to the most elevated spots in the city and extends an invitation to come eat of the feast. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom's invitation is to a feast. Why wouldn't any, everyone accept her invitation? After all, it's freely available, 
and delicious? You know, perhaps we need to ask that same questions of same question of ourselves. Why are some of us not feasting on what is good? Why do some of us not feast on the spread that Father God lays out before us? Some of us have approached the altar, this meeting place with God, with the true and living God, yet there is not a desire within us to enjoy what He has prepared. I need to admit that there have been times in my life where where I've been guilty of this, where, where I've come to a worship service with no desire in my heart to, uh, to, to participate, but just to observe, and maybe to just blend in. And I allow my own, uh, uh, my own attitude and my own personal preference prevent me from tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Some of us will, will disassociate ourselves with the presence of God because there weren't any hymns played. And some of us will distance ourselves from the presence of God because there were too many hymns played. Why wouldn't we accept wisdom's invitation? Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, some people refuse an invitation to a feast because they're already full. Here's a simple truth that applies in the natural and the spiritual. When you are all full up on junk food, it is difficult to desire what is whole and good. When you are all full up on junk food, it is difficult to desire what is whole and good. You know, I've uh, recently made some changes to the way that I eat, and some of you are aware of this, that uh, one of my favorite things now is just breakfast. I love breakfast, and some of you know that because I've, I've become a little bit of a breakfast evangelist. I have the exact same breakfast every single morning, and like there's this emotional joy that wells up within me as I approach my breakfast every morning. In fact, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating either. I know sometimes as preachers you exaggerate, right? I'm not exaggerating. I love breakfast. At dinner time, as soon as it's over, I begin to think about how the next meal is breakfast. That hasn't always been the case in my life, where the night before I would be snacking and eating junk food and having nachos and having wings, and I would wake up the next morning, and I would not desire to put something good and healthy and whole in my body because I already felt so full and terrible from all of the stuff that I had put in before. When you are full up on junk food, it is difficult to desire what is whole and good. When we cut out the junk that the world tries to stuff us with, there is an opportunity to grow in the desire for the things of God. When we cut out the junk, there is an opportunity to grow in the desire for the things of God. So the question is, will we respond to wisdom? She's making an invitation. Will we respond and feast on what God has prepared for us, for what is good, for what is noble, for what is true, for what is right? Isaiah says that what is good, uh, to eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest fare. Wisdom calls. Will you be her guest? There's a second invitation and it's from the voice of folly. And as we start reading in verse 13, you're going to notice some similarities to wisdom's invitation, at least at first, but there are also some significant differences that I think you're going to pick up on. Starting in verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. 
She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at, on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten, eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, do you see the differences? Wisdom has prepared a meal of her own. Folly stole hers. Wisdom serves choice wine. Folly talks of stolen water. Wisdom sends out, her, sends out her servants to invite the simple to her feast, but Folly stands at her door and boisterously calls out herself. Folly's voice is loud. Why is it loud? Because it's trying to drown out the voice of wisdom. Um, my son, Asher, is three years old, and Lord love him. He, uh, he is a challenge every once in a while. And sometimes uh, he will become upset with me, like significantly upset with me. Uh, to, to be fair, for things that are, are really consequential, like if I offer him soup, he's very upset about the fact that I offer him soup. Or, or he has some sort of request of me. He thinks I'm going to say no, even though I say yes. He responds to the thought that perhaps dad just said no. And in his moment of... Uh, there's, there's no way to reason with him, and he's just filled with this anger. And I'm trying to reason with my three-year-old, so perhaps I'm not being the most intelligent in my approach, because thinking that reason is going to help in this scenario with my three-year-old hasn't worked so far. Uh, he, he will just try to drown out my voice with his anger. He just yells over top of me as I'm trying to explain something to him. Isn't it true that at some times, it seems that the voices competing with God's voice seem to be louder? We've got two voices competing with one another, both claiming to be the right way. You know, there's a little uh, cartoon. I, I thought of this when I was reading uh, Proverbs chapter 9. That, that iconic image, right, of, of the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder, both telling the same individual to respond to the same situation in two different ways. We've got competing voices, both claiming to be right. And now the two invitations represent two different ways of doing life. They sound similar, but there is a key difference between them. Let's go back to the verse there, 17, verse 17. It says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Notice the secrecy. Folly says that secrecy enriches the experience. Our sinful flesh and lust are heightened by their secret nature. Many have fallen right here. Men have walked away from their families from their homes, from their wives, from their children, right here. Because Folly's appeal is this, what I offer you is fun. What I offer you is exciting, it's pleasurable, it's even secretive, and you can get away with it. Folly says you can get away with it. You know, I was listening to a podcast recently, and, uh, and there's a lady who, who wrote in uh, saying that, um, she understands that it's a good idea for other people to purchase life insurance, but she doesn't need life insurance because she's got longevity in her veins. And, uh, and, and the host of the show uh, responded by, by beginning to laugh at this request. And, and what he was really laughing at is that this idea of, of the words, it will be different for me. I know that everybody else is going to die, but it's not going to happen to me. It's going to be different for me. You know, Bill Perkins once said, if you think that you cannot fall into sexual sin, 
then you are godlier than David, stronger than Samson, and wiser than Solomon. And it was the great philosopher Winnie the Pooh that put it this way. But I wasn't going to eat it. I was just going to taste it. It will be different for me. Those are the words of the people that respond to Folly's invitation. Those are the words of people that get behind the wheel after they've been drinking. Those are the words of the gambling addict after they've gone all in with one last bet. Those are the words of the man who is flirting with adultery. It will be different for me. Those are the words of people who respond to Folly's invitation. There are two invitations and there are two destinies. I want to take a look at verse 6. What destiny does wisdom lead to? Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. What is the destiny when you receive, when you listen to wisdom? Life. The destiny that you inherit when you accept the invitation of wisdom is life. And you know, I can't really go into too many details right now because, but the, because there's something very special we have planned for you next week as pastors and as a board. We are going to be, uh, be making a special presentation about something significant that God has done within us in terms of how we as a leadership are seeking wisdom. And I do believe that there is a special anointing that has been placed upon us. We want to share with you a very significant spiritual moment that we walk through together as pastors and board that will be impacting the life and destiny of our church in a very, very good way. And we're going to be sharing that next Sunday morning. So make sure that you are here. If you notice that there's somebody who's normally sitting beside you that isn't sitting beside you this morning, tell them to come and sit beside you again next week. Because as a part of this church family, you do not want to miss what we are going to be sharing. But when you, when you respond to wisdom's invitation, the destiny that you inherit is life. Contrast with the destiny you receive when you listen to Folly's voice. Stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Shoal. Here's the truth about temptation. We think we're going to a feast, but instead we find that it's a funeral. Folly's invitation is a short-term game, and it's attractive, but for what? We live in a society today that says we can have whatever we want, whenever we want it, because we deserve it. What is that? It's a spirit of entitlement. I don't know if you know, but some people call tomorrow Blue Monday. Does anybody here know what Blue Monday is? It's a, it's a day calculated on the calendar. I, I think the first time anybody ever kind of talked about this um, with any sort of influence was in 2005. Uh, some, some people have calculated what the most depressing day of the year is. And it's, uh, apparently, it's tomorrow. It's Blue Monday. It's a combination of different things. The fact that we've had less sunshine than normal, the weather hasn't been great, the amount of time that has passed since Christmas, our bodies uh, reacting and recovering from the poor and unhealthy decisions we made during Christmas, and also the release of credit card statements to show us how much money we spent that we didn't actually have when we were preparing for Christmas. All of those things together come to make Blue Monday, the most depressing day of the year, apparently. But really, what is it? It's a lack of impulse control. 
Why is it that as a society, as a culture, that what's normal is for us to be over our heads in debt? That we go shopping and we come home with half the bag full of stuff that we never planned on buying in the first place. We buy stuff that we don't need to impress people that we don't like. We express exactly what we feel, exactly when we want, instead of waiting for a more appropriate time. We can't wait for a more appropriate age to experience something, but instead we must experience it right now. We have poor impulse control. We say, I want it, and I want it now, and I deserve it. When we live like that, we are not wise. We are otherwise. We react impulsively and foolishly, but God says that we don't have to live that way. So how do we get wisdom? Church, you are being pursued by two women, both inviting you to be their guests. And in life, we all will be forced to make a decision and strategically placed between the call of wisdom and the call of folly are the verses 7 to 12, and in them we will determine where we will make our home. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. What is the author getting at? Because the language is really strong here. If you give correction to one person, he will love you, and you give the same correction to another person, and he, he, he will hate you. What is it that separa- separates the wise from the otherwise according to these verses? Why does a rebuke, a correction, a teaching have a positive effect on one person and a negative effect on another? It all boils down to this. The choice that you make when you are corrected or instructed determines whether you are on your way to a feast or a funeral. The deciding factor is how we respond when we're corrected or instructed. In the school of wisdom, progress primarily depends on teachability. Progress depends on teachability. What does that look like? There's three words that that I would like to share with you today, and they're this. Admit, submit, and commit. When it comes to wisdom, when it comes to teachability, we need to admit, we need to submit, and we need to commit. I know that as a man, it is hard to admit that I need wisdom. Men, it is hard for us to accept the fact that sometimes we need wisdom. Have you ever brought home a bookshelf from Ikea and thrown out the instructions before you built the bookshelf? That is why it looks like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Have you ever been encouraged by your spouse to stop and ask for directions? It is difficult for us to admit that we need wisdom. You know, I want to just share a quick personal story. Um, Stephanie and I are leading a life group uh, this uh, term. Uh, We were a part of that same life group with Chris and Tracy last term, and it was just amazing. It was such a good um, foundation of wisdom that we were able to walk through. But, But that was not our first exposure to financial peace. And Chris and Tracy, I don't know if you know this, but but it was offered at another church that we previously attended. And my first exposure to Financial Peace University was Stephanie saying to me that she thought we should go and me saying no. 
I didn't want to go. Because on, on one level, there's this natural level of like, well, it was happening on Tuesday nights, and I was involved in junior high ministry, which was also on Tuesday nights, so I don't know how we can logistically make that work. But the truth is, I didn't really try to make that work, because part of my heart said, if I were to go and listen to this, I would need to make an admission that I don't already have everything altogether that there's actually some wisdom that I can learn from. And as a man, or perhaps not as a man, as an individual who had a pride issue, I just said no. I'm so thankful that I was able to get over myself because that has an impact on our family and our children and our children's children. Men, when we admit that we need wisdom, we are giving a gift to our spouse. We are giving a gift to our children, our biological children and our spiritual children. In order to gain wisdom, we need to admit that we lack it. And then we can ask God, and God promises to give it generously. James chapter 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Don't let pride get in your way of getting wisdom. We need it. It's not a question of if. The question is, in what area of my life do I need it right now? Folly tells you to keep quiet. Folly tells you to not admit that you need help, to, to not to seek it out. But wisdom says, join a life group. Wisdom says, be part of a team. Wisdom says, plug into a healthy community and get wisdom. You know, when I got married, I got uh, a book. I purchased a book for all of my groomsmen as a gift called The Ultimate Man's Survival Guide. And it teaches you things that you need to know how to do as a man, like wrestling an alligator or jumping out of a moving car or, or creating a tourniquet from a T-shirt or escaping quicksand. But here's what it didn't say that it really should have said. Real men are teachable. Real men are open to gaining sight where there are blind spots because in the school of wisdom, our success depends on teachability. We need to admit that we need wisdom. Second, we need to submit. How teachable are you? You can answer that question by how you respond to God's truth. How do you respond when it's pointed out to you that you were wrong? That's the difference between the wise and the otherwise. Fools want to be told that everything is fine. When they hear otherwise, they don't receive it, and they even become angry. We, love, we live in a, in a culture where truth has fallen on hard times. Many of us don't want to be told that we're wrong, and we live in a society that says we each need to determine our own truth. What's true for me may not be true for you, and, and what's true for you may not be true for me. We have to determine and find our, our own truth. But the truth is that truth does not depend on feelings. The truth is that truth is not subjective. The truth is that there is only one truth, and his name is Jesus. Verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That doesn't mean you always feel like it's true, or that you even always agree with God, but it does mean that when you don't feel like it, when you disagree with what God has said, you still submit to Him in spite of your feelings and your opinion, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, submission isn't really submission until you disagree with someone. So when you disagree with God and His truth, will you submit to Him? 
Will you submit to God's truth? Look, as someone who has messed up many times before and will do so again, I'm encouraged that walking in wisdom doesn't mean always getting everything right, but it has everything to do with how I respond when I do mess up. Do I submit to a rebuke from those placed in authority over me and listen to the correction of the Holy Spirit? Do I listen to the truth spoken by my wife? Or do I listen to what I have heard or read from mature Christian leaders? Do, do I, I listen to the person that loves me enough to tell me when I'm wrong? We need to admit. We need to submit. And finally, we need to commit. We need to commit to a pursuit of wisdom. The Hebrew word for wisdom emphasizes its accuracy and the ability to see beyond the obvious to something much deeper. It's the idea that we don't just skim along the surface of, of life, but, but we pursue, but we intentionally move things along toward a goal. That means that we need a goal. We need a target that we're shooting for. We need to stay focused on what we're pursuing, a commitment to the pursuit of wisdom because there are options to pursue a lot of different things. There are multiple voices competing for our attention. There are other voices, there are other distractions that want to take you away from the goal of what you're shooting for, of being a wise dad, of being a wise mom, a wise man, a wise person in Christ. You know, many years ago, there was a movie uh, called Robin Hood. And in Robin Hood, there's this scene where, where he is uh, having a little bit of an archery, you know, accuracy competition. And, and, and he approaches one of the other archers and says, well, can you, can you still shoot when you're distracted? And the other archer, he puts the, the, the arrow in his bow and he, he pulls it back. And just before he's about to release it, Robin Hood tickles him with the feathers from the end of his bow. And of course, the, the, the man shooting the arrow mits, misses the target that he was shooting at. And then Maid Marian approaches Robin Hood. And she says, well, can you shoot and hit the target when you are being distracted? And so with some confidence and swagger, he pulls out an arrow and he puts it in his bow and he pulls it back like this. And then she flirtatiously blows in his face. He releases the arrow and it doesn't even hit the target. It's way, way off. God has placed an arrow in our hands. And for some of us, many arrows. What are we shooting for? What tools, what skills, what character traits do we want our children to have? Are there distractions that are preventing us from hitting the target with wisdom, with accuracy? We can pass on the pursuit of wisdom that results in life to the next generation, to our children and to our children's children, to our biological children and to our spiritual children. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and thinking to yourself, I'm past that parenting stage. My children are grown and gone, but I still have something to offer, and that is correct. There are spiritual children here that need your wisdom. There are spiritual children within this community. You know, there was a, a word last week uh, that, that included, I can't recall it verbatim, but it included that part of what we as a church are doing moving forward will include all generations. And part of that is you speaking and demonstrating and modeling your pursuit of wisdom to those spiritual children in this place. What a great gift our Heavenly Father gives to us. Wisdom. 
What a great gift we can give our children. You know, we don't get wise because we get older. We get wise because we choose to commit to a lifelong pursuit of wisdom. Finally, wisdom results in reward. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Wisdom is for the taking. How badly do you want it? Proverbs chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say, If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Church, the value of God's word is found in its application. So how will you apply this truth to your life today before you leave this place? Stephanie, I'm going to invite you to come up and and maybe we can sing uh, Holy Spirit one more time in just a couple minutes. But I do want you to just take a moment personally, maybe with the Lord, and say, how will I apply this truth in my life today? Don't let, it, don't let it pass. Don't go to bed before you've prayed that prayer and spoken with somebody that you trust and that you love and will hold you accountable about how you can apply the pursuit of wisdom in your life. Maybe you will join me in a commitment that I've made to consistently and repeatedly read Proverbs every month. You know there are 31 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. That pretty much works out to reading one a day. And if you commit to that, I mean, in February, there's going to be a day where you read two or three. If you commit to that, you'll have read through Proverbs 12 times this year. Perhaps you'll join a group of like-minded individuals that support one another, that hold each other accountable, and that seek wisdom together. I mean, that sounds pretty good, right? We call them life groups. There are 10 of them. You can sign up for one today. Perhaps you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to respond in some other way, like seeking a mentor in the faith or taking some time at the altar and admitting that you just need wisdom. Maybe it's just an admission today that we've been walking around with this, with this attitude that we're telling ourselves that we don't need other people's wisdom, that we don't need God's wisdom, that we've got it all together on our own. But, but the truth is that, that we don't know better than God. Can't we just admit that we need to seek His wisdom? Perhaps you need to forgive yourself for an unwise choice that you've made in the past, and you're just living under shame. We want to pray for you this morning and break that shame off and replace it with the truth that wisdom doesn't mean being perfect, but it's just how we respond to correction. I'd be amiss if I also didn't let you know that you can't truly pursue wisdom without pursuing wisdom personified, who is Christ Jesus. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Jesus has built his house, and in it he has prepared a feast. He calls out to everyone who will hear, Eat of this bread. It is my body broken for you. Drink of this wine. It is my blood shed for you. Whosoever believes will not taste death, but shall have everlasting life. 
The wisest decision that you can ever make is to follow the one who gave his life for you so that you may live. If you've never made that decision before, today's the day. Church, would you stand, please? I don't want to prescribe or describe what response time needs to look like this morning, but I do feel like it's appropriate for us to just take some time to soak in the presence of God and and ask Him to search our hearts and make them clean. God, is there something that you are speaking to us individually? Is there something that you are speaking to us corporately, an area in my life that I need your wisdom? Help me to receive that this morning. Church, if you feel just the desire in your heart to come forward and have somebody agree with you in prayer, we want to do that. We want to support you in a healthy and safe way, encourage you and replace shame and lies with truth and peace. So let's just take a few moments and see where the Spirit leads us as we taste and see that the Lord is good.